Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. What an awesome and glorious day God has given us to gather together to worship. I mean, I don't know if we could dial it up any better than this. And so, so thankful that the God, that God provided this for me. Also, just to note, as you guys are being seated, you will see on the back of your bulletin, uh, there is the connection card there, but also uh, a preview of the summer studies. We have a lot of really good stuff going on starting uh, in and uh, I think in the second or third week in Wednesday in July. Just want to mention it now uh, because I know a lot of you will be traveling over the next few weeks. And so you can actually go ahead and sign up in the bulletin for, for certain uh, Wednesday night things you're interested in. Um, and so feel free to do that. You can rip off that back page and put it in the offering basket and we'll make sure we'll get you connected to uh, what you want to be connected to. A few weeks ago, uh, our community group was together, and our community group leader asked an icebreaker question. He said, when is the last time you heard someone cuss, and how did it make you feel about that person? I think the purpose of the question was to point out how we can sometimes be very judgmental of other people and think ourselves better than other people. But when I came to answering the question, I said, the last time I heard someone cuss was yesterday in the garage when I stubbed my toe. And uh, so you can probably guess who that person was. In, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. When I was in college, uh, I was very convicted about this passage, and there was a lot of unwholesome talk coming out of my mouth. It was shortly after I became a Christian, so I resolved to stop cussing and stop telling coarse jokes and and to stop having unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. And so for about two months, I couldn't talk at all uh, because it was such a part of my language. It was really bad. You would not have wanted me around your children. Well, for about 20 years, 20 years, by God's grace, I really have not said so many cuss words or unwholesome talk. But for some reason, over the past three to four years, I have struggled more and more with my language. My family could attest to it. And uh, oddly enough, it parallels with me having teenagers, although I'm sure that has nothing to do with it at all. It is my depravity for sure. But sometimes I get very discouraged about my spiritual growth or my lack of spiritual growth. Sometimes I feel like I have not gotten as far as I want to be or that even maybe I've taken step backwards. Uh, there is a song by Cayman's Call that came out in 1999. And it's called Thankful. And I think about these lyrics a lot. He starts the song by saying, I ran across an old box of letters. You know, I had to laugh that the same old struggles that plagued me then are plaguing me still. I know the road is long. 
From ground to glory. I love that phrase. From ground to glory. But a boy can hope he's getting someplace. I'm curious if you can relate, especially if you've been a Christian for a while. I wonder if you have the same struggles today that you had way back when. Struggles of bitterness and unforgiveness, anger and lust and covetousness, discontentment with where God has you, anxious, worry, judgmentalism. But I'm also curious if you look back 10, 20 years from now, if you can see how the Lord has grown you in some very specific ways. Today's passage is a reminder to us that while our justification, which is being declared righteous when we're born again, when we're saved, even though that is an event, our sanctification, which is our growth in godliness, is a journey. It's a process. And that Jesus is not surprised by it. And a matter of fact, Jesus is a part of it. From dirt to glory. And so if you would, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. It's also printed in the bulletin for you. Later in the passage, we're actually going to skip around in the Bible a little bit. So if you have a Bible, great. If you don't, just look in your bulletin at the passage. Mark chapter 8, we will be looking at verses 22 through 26 today. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. Again, remember, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat. Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, excuse me, they came to Bethsaida, which is on the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, and some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you have sent your son Jesus to be with us, to heal us, and to travel with us through this life, through your Holy Spirit. And so, God, pray that we may rest in your love and your compassion, as many of us even today come wondering or wishing we were further along in our faith journey than we are. As many of us come with discouragements of our our doubts and our sin struggles and, and long to be perfected, shower us with your grace this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably heard it said that no two snowflakes are alike, and that if you put a snowflake under a microscope, each one will have a different design. So every snowflake is the same in that it's snow and it's a flake, but they're all uniquely different. Uh, My wife and I have joked that her cooking is like snowflakes and that no two dishes are the same. And so if you have a pasta dish uh, that she makes, Uh, She will just grab stuff out of the cupboard, throw it in there. I'm sure a lot of moms do this. You know, recipes are just mere suggestions, right, on on how you should make a certain dish. And so if she makes a pasta dish and you don't care for it too much, that's okay because you will never have that dish again. (laughs) But if you have a pasta dish and you love it, enjoy it while you can because you will never have that dish again. 
Jesus' miracles are like snowflakes or like my wife's cooking. In one way, they are all the same, but in, all, in, in another way, they're all unique and different. Sometimes Jesus heals from a distance. Sometimes he is up close to a person. Sometimes Jesus touches a person. Sometimes he doesn't touch a person. Sometimes Jesus does it before crowds of people. Sometimes he brings people into private areas. Sometimes Jesus tells a person to go and tell everyone. Sometimes he tells a healed person to tell absolutely no one. Jesus' miracles are like snowflakes in that they're all the same in the sense that Jesus is doing something miraculous and powerful to a needy person, but they're all different in that they're all very unique to teach us something precious about the kingdom of God. You know, we've already seen many miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and when we get to this one today, we may say, oh, good for that guy, and move on with our lives. But this miracle of Jesus is truly unique. It's unique in the fact that it is not found in any other of the Gospels, but it's also unique in that it seems to appear that it takes Jesus two times to fully heal this guy. He lays his hands on him once, can you see? Ah, kind of. And then he has to lay his hands on him again to fully heal him. And so the question is, what is going on here? Did Jesus lose some of his superpower to heal? Did he get the eye to spit ratio wrong? Like, what is going on in this passage? And again, what we will see is that when Jesus performs miracles, there are also parables of spiritual realities. They are visible signs of an invisible reality that all Christians need to know. And so I want to look at this passage in three parts. I know that's a surprise, but three parts. One is that Jesus is the only hope for the blind. Secondly, is that Jesus partially heals the totally blind. Partially heals the totally blind. And the third is that Jesus totally heals the partially blind. Totally heals the partially blind. So this is where we're going to get a little bit weird today. Uh, already being outside a little bit weird, but... But if you have prescription glasses on, I want you to take them off and I want you to hook them on your shirt, okay? And then I want everyone, whether you have prescription glasses or not, uh, to close your eyes here in a little bit, okay? Now, I know some of you cannot do that because your children will run into the road, so you don't need to close your eyes. Uh, some of you may be overly tired and can't close your eyes. Um, but for the most of you, I would like for you just a little bit to close your eyes. And then as we get to the second main point, you'll open them a little bit and I'll share more at that time. So the first point that I want to look at today is that Jesus is the only hope for the blind. So if you are willing and able, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to close your eyes for this full main point and I'll tell you when you can open them again. Now if you hear someone next to you snoring, go ahead and give them a jab for Jesus to wake them up. Um, but keep your eyes closed during this time. In this passage, we have a blind man. Right now, you are experiencing a little bit of what it was like for him to be blind. But imagine if you got out of your chair. Imagine if you had to use the restroom or had to come get communion or had to throw something away and your eyes were closed. You'd be tripping over chairs. You'd be walking into the road. You'd be People, bodies would be laying everywhere if you were blind. It is very difficult to be a blind person, but so much so more in the times of Jesus. Nothing was accessible. Uh, people would, would not have any auditory signs to tell them what to do. They had to be careful more so where they walked that they wouldn't fall into a crevice or into a hole. 
They would have no braille system for them to get to read. They would not be able to have a job. They would not have any support from the government. They would be dependent on their family and on begging on making a living. Being blind any time would be difficult, but especially in the time of Jesus. And this blind man's friends knew how difficult it was for him. They suffered with him. They knew this man's only hope of recovering sight was Jesus. So in verse 22 it says, And they, Jesus and the disciples, came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch them. Again, verse 22, And they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. Notice how the friends brought this man to Jesus. And not only brought him, but begged, 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 begged Jesus. It is the same word used to say to pray or to beseech. They, they pleaded with Jesus to give their friend physical sight. This is such a beautiful picture of what Christ calls his people to do. You see, as sad as it is to be physically blind, it pales in comparison to spiritual blindness. You see, all of us are born spiritually blind, blind to the truths of God, the goodness of God, the salvation of God, the glory of God, the wonder of God, the majesty of God. We are blind to all of these things. And evidence of our blindness is that all of us look to our depraved, sin-filled hearts for our own salvation, which is absolutely ridiculous. We are born spiritually blind, and Jesus, by his touch, through the Holy Spirit, has given us sight to see the truths of God and of the world. And now, as those who have been given spiritual sight by Jesus, we are called to bring others to Jesus that they too might have spiritual sight. You know, I think one thing that we are so tempted to do, if you are a Christian, is to judge people for their blindness. We will say, I can't believe that person thinks that or, or does that or, or has that viewpoint. But of course they do. They're blind, led by blind people. People's blindness should not stir our judgment as much as it should stir our compassion. Christian, like these friends, we are to bring those who are spiritually blind to Jesus and pray and beg and beseech Jesus to give them spiritual sight. This past January, I went to an evangelism conference that was run by some uh, Anglican Pentecostal brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the points they made over and over and over and over again is that we must be a people of prayer because we cannot save people. We cannot make people hear the truth of the gospel. We cannot make people see the glory of Christ. We cannot make dead people come alive. Only God can do that. And so we must pray and pray and pray. And I could not help but thinking to myself, these people are bigger Calvinists than I am. These people understand that there is no power in us. It is the power of God who saves. And so they are saying, come, beseech and plead to the Lord. It has been said, we must first talk to God about people. And then we talk to people about God. Let me say it again. We must first talk to God about people and then talk to people about God. And so let me ask, who are you beseeching God to give spiritual sight to? Who are you bringing to Jesus? Who are you bringing Jesus to? Jesus is our only hope and our loved one's only hope of being healed and receiving spiritual sight. So bring them to Jesus. Pray to Jesus. Plead with Jesus to heal them. This is the first thing we see in this passage. Jesus 
is the only hope for the blind. I'll keep your eyes closed for just a little while longer. Our second thing that we see here is that Jesus partially heals the totally blind. So in verse 23, it says this, And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. This is such a powerful word picture. Tender and compassionate Jesus is holding this man's hand and walking with him and talking with him and guiding this man out of the city. Now the question is, why is he leading him away from the city of Bethsaida? Well, a few weeks ago, you may remember we were talking about Tyre and Sidon and how they were seen as the New Testament version of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I quoted to you from Matthew 11, and I want to quote that to you again really quick. Jesus says this, he says, Woe to you, Bethsaida! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And so he is cursing the city of Bethsaida. We also think about last week's passage when Jesus says, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And so Jesus walks this man out of Bethsaida to rescue this man from this cursed and unbelieving city, but also in judgment against the city of Bethsaida because they would not believe the identity of Jesus. The passage continues. It says that when Jesus had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? To my knowledge, to my recollection, I believe this is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus asked, did the miracle take? Did it work? And he, the man, looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Okay, so now if you have prescription glasses, you can open your eyes all the way. Uh, if you do not have prescription glasses, I want you to open your eyes about 10% if you can do that. Open it up about 10%, not 12%, not 8%, about 10%. This is the state that the man was in. He can now see forms, see forms and figures. He can see the light, a little bit of reality. It's better than being blind, but things are still blurry. And so this totally blind man was partially healed by Jesus. And again, we ask the question, why? You know, uh, why didn't Jesus heal this guy all at once? Like, he can do that. He's done that many times before. And again, the reason is because Jesus is using this healing as a parable of the disciples and of you and me in our own spiritual journeys, our own spiritual sight. The context of this miracle is so extremely important. Just before this passage, if you remember from last week, the disciples have seen Jesus miraculously feed 5,000 people and 4,000 people with a few loaves and a few fishes, and he does it miraculously. And then they are in the boat, right? They're in the boat, and they only have one loaf of bread. And they're freaking out about it. And Jesus says to them in verse 17 of this chapter, he says, Why are you discussing or disputing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And then he says this, having eyes, do you not see? Jesus is, of course, talking about spiritual sight. They saw that Jesus was wonderful and glorious. That's why they left everything to follow him. But they did not fully see his glory. That's why they were freaking out. Right after this passage, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? 
And Peter, as the representative of all the disciples, says this. He says, you are the Christ. It's wonderful. Peter and the apostles see who Jesus is. It appears as if they have 20-20 vision. But literally four verses later, just four verses later, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Although the disciples had some spiritual sight to see who Jesus is, they saw him dimly. And Jesus is using this man's physical blindness and progressive scene to teach his disciples and us about our own spiritual blindness and progression in seeing the truths of God. Christian, Jesus has given you spiritual eyes to see, but it is so important for you to know that you cannot yet see clearly. Let me give you an example from my own life. One of the coolest things over the past semester for me is going through the gospel of Mark in preaching. And I, I think I shared this with the pastors, but you know, I'm going through passages that I have read a dozen times. Some passages that I have translated from Greek into English. I feel like for the most part, I know everything about these passages when I read it first thing on Monday morning. But then I start to study the passage and I start to hear what other people say about the passage. And every single week, time and time again, what happens is that I find new treasures in the passage that I had never seen before. And it isn't that those treasures were not there. It's that I did not have eyes to see them. I see dimly. I only have partial sight. Our fuzzy eyesight not only applies to our reading of God's word, but also our applying of God's word. I'm so thankful for a dear brother who recently confronted me and said, hey, I think you have a blind spot here. And he was right. Blessed is the man who has friends who will reveal their blindness. You see, while our physical eyesight is regressive, our spiritual eyesight is to be progressive. Knowing that we see unclearly should make us a humble people and a hungry people. We should be hungry to see more clearly. We should be hungry to dive into God's Word, to, to do it with other people who might see things in God's Word that we don't see. It should make us a hungry people, which should also make us a humble people. It should make us humble when we come to the Bible, distrusting our own heart, our own knowledge, our own wisdom, and trusting the Word of God. You see, the whole reason why God read wrote the Bible was because we could not see clearly. And he is giving it to us to give us clearer vision of the truth of who he is, who we are, and what is true about the world. And so it should make us humble as we read God's word. It should make us humble with other Christians. I don't know about you, but I'm least patient with those most close to me because I feel like they should have 20-20 versions spiritually. And yet they too are growing in their clarity. And so we must come to the Word of God with great hunger and great humility, knowing that we do not yet see all things clearly. And so come to God and His Word, hungry and humble, because Jesus is the only hope of salvation, and Jesus is particularly heals, sorry, because Jesus partially heals totally blind people, and it is progressive. The final point here, and hold on, you'll get to open your eyes in a second, is that Jesus totally heals the partially blind. He partially heals the totally blind. He totally heals the partially blind. Verse 25 says, Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Okay, now you can put on your glasses, open your eyes, you can see everything clearly. 
this is what Jesus has done for this man. This is what Jesus will do for us. You know, a, a few days ago, I lost my glasses for a few minutes, which if you know me, you know that's no surprise. I lose things all the time. And uh, the first thing I thought to my mind, thought, thought was, oh no, I have to have glasses uh, when we go on our trip this summer. We're going to Acadia National Park. And I want to make sure I can see everything clearly. I don't want to see it fuzzy. I want to behold with clarity the glory of God's creation. Christians, this is good news. In this life, while our spiritual eyesight is progressive and gaining clarity, and while Jesus through his Holy Spirit is with us along this journey, there is coming a day when Jesus will come again and he will lay his hands upon us again and he will fully heal us so that we can fully see the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God. Let's do just a little bit of Bible flipping. If you're in your Bible, if you could flip over to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, in the Red Bible, it's page 960, 1 Corinthians 13. And so if you are unfamiliar, it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read verses 9 and 12. And this is a summary of today's passage. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9. The Apostle Paul says this. For we know in part, it's partial. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, that's when Christ comes, when perfection comes, the partial will pass away. Verse 12. For now we, what's the word? See. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. In other words, just as Jesus fully sees you and fully knows you today, one day we are going to fully know and fully see Jesus in all of his glory and all of his thunder. And it will be then that you will be overwhelmed with awe and delight and majesty in the glory of Christ. It will be then that your faith will be sight, that your prayer will be praised, and that your joy will be full. In the book of Revelation, it talks about seeing a lot there as well. If you could flip to Revelation chapter 21, this one is a little easier to find. It's the second to last chapter in the Bible. It's page 1041 in the Red Bible, Revelation 21. I want to look at verses 1 through 4 with you quickly here. John says, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea, which represents chaos and danger and death, was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They, talking about you and me, those who belong to Christ, they will see his face. In this world, if we saw the face of God, we would die. But in this world to come, we will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads because we belong to God. Skip now next to the next chapter, Revelation 22, verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard these heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down. I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. And then he says, 
worship God. I'm curious, have you ever seen something so glorious, so wonderful, so majestic that you literally just fell down? I haven't. But there was, there's a day coming where when we will see with precise clarity the glory of God, we will drop to our faces and worship him. You know, my mom loves to tell the story when I first got my glasses. I was in middle school. I didn't even realize how much I couldn't see until I got glasses. And, and when we went to go pick up the glasses, I put my glasses on. I still remember being in the store, and I was looking around at the store. And I looked at my mom, and I said, Wow, you have a lot of wrinkles. <laughs> when Christ comes again, and we see clearly, we will not see wrinkles. We will behold his glory and fall to the ground and worship. Let me end with uh, verse 26. Verse 26 says, And Jesus sent him, the seen man, to his home, saying, Do not enter the village. Why, why did Jesus tell him not to enter the village? Why did he say, bypass the village and go straight to your house? Well, there's actually multiple reasons for this. But one reason that we know is that time and again in the gospel, Jesus says, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. You see, there were blind religious leaders inside the city of Bethsaida that were adversarial to Jesus. The only one who ever saw clearly the world and our sin and the glory of God and they wanted to put the king of glory, the one who could see all things clearly, to death. And in fact, they did end up doing that. And then at the cross, at the cross, Christ took on our blindness, which is caused by our sin and depravity. And he paid for it in full. And then he rose on the third day to give us salvation and life and sight, not only in this world, but more importantly, in the world to come for all eternity to see the glory of God. There's a famous country singer named Teresa Faye Gibbs. I'm curious, anyone heard of Teresa Gibbs? Anyone? Maybe she's not so famous, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa Faye Gibbs. Um, she, she recorded between 1980 and 2017. She has 11 albums and 13 singles that made the charts. And the unique thing about Teresa is that she is blind. And she's written a song that... Uh, it's entitled, The First Thing I'll See. She says this in the song, I have never seen a flower or a tree, or the sky alive and blue, or a summer afternoon. I've never seen the sunrise or ocean waves at midnight. But one day I'll have my sight in a place where there is no light, night. And the first thing I'll see will be Jesus. The first thing I'll see will be my Lord. I'll sing praises to my King. I'll stand before the throne where I'll worship him alone. Terry toured the country singing this song to thousands of people. And the way that she would often end her songs is with a hymn that we are going to sing here in just a little bit. It is the song Amazing Grace. And I can imagine what was going through her mind and her heart as she sang these lyrics, which we will get to sing soon, which is, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Christians, as you seek others to come to faith in Jesus, as you continue to grow in your faith in Jesus, remember Jesus is the only hope for the blind. 
and that Jesus partially heals and continues to partially heal the totally blind. And one day is coming where Jesus will totally heal the partially blind so that we can behold the glory of our God forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful, so thankful that you are patient with us because we see your glory dimly. We, we get bored at your glory some way, somehow. And so, God, pray that you would increase our spiritual sight. Help us to be patient with others. Help us to bring others to you that they, too, may see the glory of our Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.